Our text for today comes from Romans 13, 1 through 7. Let everyone be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one who is authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants, who fulfill, uh, who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. So today we are finishing up our series on politics that we're calling Polis. Uh, It's all about Jesus, politics, and the way we live our public life. And I hope that the last two weeks have been instructive for you. If you haven't, uh, weren't with us over the last two weeks and you're interested about what we talked about, uh, you can go back and you can listen to those online. I would encourage you to do that if you're just jumping in today as well. I hope this series has, like I said, I hope this series has been instructive for you. I hope the Holy Spirit has helped you to identify some areas in your own heart and in your own life where maybe some things need to change a little bit. Something might need to shift in your orientation towards the way you live as a citizen of our community called America or Iowa or Cedar Falls. So that you can follow Jesus more faithfully in the world, in a world that is in desperate need of faithful followers of Jesus, I think. And this uh, biblical idea that we're covering this morning is, I think, one of the most immediate and powerful witnesses to the love of Jesus that any of us can have in the world. Because today we are talking about the concept of honor, of honor, and how Christ followers are called to create cultures of honor in the midst of a dishonoring and disrespectful world. Now, I think this idea needs to penetrate nearly every aspect of our lives. And I want to say right from the outset of this message that it is not simply the responsibility of people who claim to follow Jesus to avoid the dishonoring or caustic speech that is available to us in our culture. It is rather the responsibility of every Jesus follower to actively cultivate an environment of honor wherever we go and whatever we do and whoever we speak to. And one of the places where this uh, honor is most needed and where the absence of honor, I think, is most felt is, guess what? Our political lives in this country. Now, to say that the political conversation in America is dishonoring to the innate value of every human being is, I think, at this point, a kind of understatement, right? Back in the early spring or summer, there was a bit of a controversy between two members, a couple members of Congress and the president. And I think this kind of clearly illustrates what we're talking about this morning. Between a group of women who are often referred to as the squad, I don't know if, you're, if you know this, if you pay attention, and President Trump. Now, I'm sure, uh, I'm not sure exactly how this whole thing got started. Like the book of James says, 
The largest fire is often set off by the smallest spark of the tongue. But the squad and the president began to really fire at one another uh, in a way that was interesting. And it all came to a head when one of the women, a, a congresswoman, said of the president, we need to go in there and, and impeach the expletive, right? Is anybody aware of this? Raise your hand if you even know what I'm talking about. Okay, thank you. And the president responded with grace and respect. <laughs> Actually, he didn't. Uh, uh, he, re he responded via tweet. Which, which in effect said that these four women of color need to go back to their countries of origin, to the places where their families immigrated from, which again is something uh, that he is volleying at four duly elected uh, United States congresswomen, uh, which is interesting. And neither side backed off their position. That's the other thing. This wasn't just a kind of conflagration, right? It wasn't just something that sprung up and then went away. Neither side backed off their posture of disrespect. This was not a kind of flash in the pan. Uh, President Trump continues to dismiss and belittle these women, encouraging people at his political rallies to chant, send them back. And, and uh, the, Congress, uh, one, the congresswoman who said this actually has T-shirts available on her website <laughs> that say exactly what she said, right? Both sides are real proud of themselves, and they're using this kind of vitriol and hate to motivate their base in order to get votes. And what was so interesting to me about this exchange this whole kind of ugly exchange was that the public conversation around it was about who was right, who, <laughs> which of the two, like which was more, which which side of the debate was more accurate in their assessment of the other side. Republicans defended their person and Democrats defended their person. But in the public conversation, there seemed to be no one who was pointing out the most problematic issue. I think, at least that I saw which was just the startling level of dishonor put on display by public servants. Just an, an unimaginable amount of dishonor being volleyed back and forth between, uh, between leaders in our country. And no one pointed out that this way of speaking in our political environment, this way of treating one another, it kind of completely erodes the democratic ideals that make it possible for our country to get anything done, right? And unsurprisingly, because this level of dishonor is not just, uh, this incident isn't the only incident, we just kind of swim in a culture of dishonor in this regard, nothing is getting done. It seems like the wheels of government are just kind of screeching, grinding to a halt. And we are embarking on what I think is a very uncertain time, politically speaking, in the coming years. I just think it is. But here's the point I'm trying to illustrate this morning. We live in a time where dishonor is the norm. It is not a rare occurrence. It has, it has kind of funneled its way into every aspect of our lives. It, dishonor is to be expected. If you disagree with me, you are not just wrong. You are worthy of dishonor. If we disagree, uh, we don't seek to actively uh, understand one another's positions. We, we go at somebody's very worth, their very value as a person. And while this type of culture dishonor is not new, right? It's not new. And this will not be the last time that these types of things happen. I want to point out to you today that those who follow Christ are called to operate on a totally different wavelength. Than, than when it comes to this 
conversation about honor and dishonor. As we say in our, as we, as we read in our teaching text for today, followers of Christ are called to honor the ruling authorities, regardless of who is in power. And this was certainly, from the perspective of the Christians that Paul was writing to, a pretty radical teaching, and I hope to show you that in just a moment. Paul does not instruct the church in Rome to honor Caesar because Caesar was a nice guy, okay? This wasn't a nice person. The, the Caesar at this point was a person named Nero. We talked about him a couple weeks ago, but I'll just reiterate. He was a bad dude. He, uh, he had really bad sideburns, if you ever, <laughs> you can go. It, seriously, go on your phone and look at a picture of him. It's horrible. It's the worst sideburns you've ever seen. Historians speculate that Nero burnt down a third of Rome on purpose in order to make room for a new palace he wanted to build. And then he blamed the burning of Rome on Christians and began, began a systematic persecution of them as, as in order to kind of scapegoat his burning of Rome. He wanted to burn Rome so that he could build a big palace for himself. It would be like if the president today decided to go to, any of you have been to Washington, you know, ringing, um, ringing the National Mall. You have the Smithsonian buildings and those types of things. If the president would to, were to go to the National Mall and just burn down a couple of the Smithsonian buildings so that he could build a bigger White House and then blame Christians and feed them to lions, right? This is what Nero was doing at the time. Not a great guy. Not a great guy. And even with the stunning level of evil that Nero and the Roman Empire unleashed on the world, Paul still instructs Christians to honor the emperor, which is crazy from our context, isn't it? It's nuts. He, uh, he tells them to honor him, not because he doesn't disagree with the things that Nero is doing. He most certainly does. And not because he's doing a good job. He is not doing a good job. But because, as it says in verse 1, God has sovereignly instituted political authorities to bring order to human life. Because order is better than disorder, and flawed human government is better than anarchy, right? This is essentially the argument that Paul is making. So Paul says, support and honor your leaders. As hard as it might be at times, support and honor your leaders. But if I'm being honest with you in my reading of this text, I think the reason that Paul instructs these Christians living in Rome to honor their leaders is slightly deeper than just that they oversee a government that brings order to society. And I think that because I, I pick up this theme of honor other places in the New Testament. I think Paul wants us to honor authorities because he wants Christians to honor all people. Because even the worst person in the world is still one of God's creatures, is still a, an image bearer of God, correct? We must give honor uh, out of our understanding that someone else, that other person, whether they are an authority in our lives or not, has a createdness and they have an unsurpassable worth as a human being. And I think we give honor to everyone, every human, because if we don't, if we don't have that type of posture of viewing every human life as sacred and every human individual as worthy of honor, we'll let a kind of corrosion into our souls. And you can see in our culture this corrosive nature, the rhetoric, the political rhetoric that is taking foot in our time. Can you imagine what it would be like to have a politics that was honoring? Just for a moment, right? 
imagine what it would be like where we kept the inherent value of every human being as being a very image bearer of God at the forefront of our dialogue. If AOC and President Trump just really valued the sacredness of the other person (laughs) and their contribution, right? This would be crazy. Fox News and MSNBC would not exist. They would not exist. And we would read headlines in the newspaper that would say things like, well, it was another honorable and respectful debate about the substantive issues of our day. This would be every headline. And we know the truth is that no earthly system will ever embody this, right? We know that deep down in our hearts. No earthly system of government will ever value uh, these kingdom of God ethics in this way. But Christians are people. Christians are people who are called to display this type of honor in society, to display it with our lives, with our words, with our actions, and from our hearts, choosing not to vilify, demean, or belittle, to not condescend to people, to hold the other side, to not hold the other side of an argument or a, a debate or a difference of opinion in contempt and dehumanize them with dishonor. As soon as the followers of Jesus begin to dishonor someone in their heart, then they're, and when we, when we begin to dishonor people with our words, and finally when we begin to dishonor people in our actions, it makes it possible for us to start hating people and treating them as the enemy, which is not how Jesus instructs us to treat any human being, period. Instead, God calls his kingdom people to be a beacon of honor in a culture of disrespect. What is one of the first Bible verses that we teach our kids? This little light of, I'm not going to sing it for you, mine. Uh, Yes, I am, actually. I'm going to let it shine. This is the first thing we teach our kids, right? Let your light so shine before men that they would see your good deeds, your goodness, and glorify your Father in heaven. And I want to submit to you, to the extent to which we participate in a culture of dishonor, is the extent to which we put our lights under a bowl. Now, that is a little bit of what I think it means to be a people of honor in our current political climate today. But, but, I think this idea of honor, as we are looking at it today, is far bigger, far deeper, far more significant than just the way we engage with our political adversaries out in the world. Actually, this idea of honor is a thread that runs all throughout the Bible and I think needs to color the way that the church, that people who are followers of Jesus interact with one another, as well as the way they interact in the world. Actually, I think if you really track this idea of honor through the Bible, it changes everything you think, everything, every way you act around and towards other people. It's not an idea that I think is very common for us in our day. Honor as an idea in our society is not a common one. But the Bible takes this idea very, very seriously. And so for the rest of this morning, what I want to do is just help us to deepen our understanding of this idea of honor in hopes that we at Grace Community could become the type of place where honor is is a bedrock of our culture. It's something fundamental to the way we relate to one another and the way we relate to the world. Because as I hope to show you in just a moment, honor is all over the place in the Bible. And so I'm going to be doing something that I don't often do when I preach. 
which is that I'm going to be covering a lot of passages of Scripture today. Usually we take one passage of Scripture and we drill down in it. I think that's the most effective way for us to really understand how to read the Bible well. But, but, but today I'm going to do a kind of flyover survey of this idea of honor uh, in the Scriptures. And so we're going to be covering a lot of, uh, of, lot of passages of Scripture. So if you have your notes with you, I would suggest you get those out. If you have a Bible, I suggest you follow along. If you don't have a Bible, there's one under the chair in front of you, especially if you're going to be a part of a home group this week. This might be a good opportunity for you to take some notes. All right. All right. So honor in the Bible, honor in the Bible. What is it? What is honor? Technically, we know we can we've clearly kind of determined what dishonor is. Right. But what is honor and how do we honor other people? How do, we, how do we live out this culture of honor that seems to be all over the scriptures? I think the first real hint of what it means to, uh, to live, uh, live with honor, live as a people of honor, to display a culture of honor, we discover just a chapter before our teaching text today in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 10. This is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Honor one another above yourselves. Other translations of this passage say, outdo one another in honor. Outdo one another, one another in showing honor. Paul in this passage is giving Christians in Rome basically a kind of bullet point uh, description of what their lives should look like. And it all culminates where it always does for Paul. It all culminates with love, right? It's always love for Paul. Jesus' people are, above all, people who put on display the love of God. This is what we are. And Paul says in verse 9, be devoted to one another in love. But what does he say love then looks like? Is love just a feeling? Is love butterflies in my tummy? I felt weird about writing tummy and saying it in church, but I did. <laughs> is it just sentimentality? Is it walking around telling people that we love them like junior hires with their first girlfriend or boyfriend? Is this what Paul means? No, that's not what Paul says at all. For Paul, love, is, love in action looks like honor. Honor for Paul is the natural and appropriate expression of love. This is what honor is. And Christians are called first and foremost to cultivate a culture of honor within the church and then kind of let that honor spill out of the church, and into the world. Now, specifically, how we are defining honor becomes important then, doesn't it? Because it could be defined just as a kind of appreciation. In, our, in American culture, this is how we primarily define honor, right? When you think of honoring someone, the first thing that probably comes to your mind is Mother's Day, right? Or something like that. Now we will continue to do Mother's Day. I think it's a good thing. Or maybe it's uh, honoring a military member as they walk through the airport. These are the types of things that come to mind. But honor is so much more than recognition. It's so much more than just simple recognition. The two biblical uh, words translated honor are kabod in Hebrew and tamao in Greek. Both generally mean to make something heavy or weighty. This is what the word means. So a literal definition of the word honor may just mean to give weight or significance to someone, someone or something. But in the scriptures, honor is an attitude of the heart, so it is just giving something weight or significance. But it is also embodied in our actions. 
It is also lived out in the way we actually act in the world. So here, I have a definition of honor for you this morning, and I made this one up. This is a Nick special. Uh, Honor is proactively affirming the eternal and unsurpassable worth of another through proper treatment, recognition, and acts of service. This is what I think honor is, biblically speaking. Honor is proactively, right? Not a, a reaction to someone else's activity, but proactively identifying someone's eternal and unsurpass- unsurpassable worth. And then because of your affirmation of their uh, eternal and unsurpassable worth, you treat them properly, you recognize them, and you serve them through, through your willingness to lay down your life and serve them. This is what honor looks like. And this is frankly all over the Bible. It's more, when I was studying for this passage, it's more all over the Bible than you would even think. And so what we're just going to do is kind of go through some examples of honor in the scriptures. The first place you probably run into honor is Exodus 20, 12, right? Honor your father and your mother. It says this, honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long in the land and that the Lord may give you, or the Lord your God is giving you. This is the one that's again, springs to mind most often. This is the one that we hear in church most of the time. This is about giving proper respect and service to parents. Now, as we've covered, I think we did a series on the Ten Commandments about a year ago now, but uh, as we said in that passage, this is not about children. This is about, this is not necessarily about children. This is about grown children and their responsibility that they bear towards their parents, meaning that to honor a parent is not to always listen to them, Right, especially as an adult, your primary the primary way you honor your parent isn't by listening to them and do, making decisions based solely on their opinion. Rather, it is about uh, proper respect and proper action in service towards them. Excuse me, towards them. So this is not about a Mother's Day gift as much as this is younger children actually taking care of their parents in the context of this passage, making sure that because they were cared for by their parents, then those children, as their parents age, take care of their parents. Right. This is what the passage is about. Coincidentally, the church father Cyril of Jerusalem said that if unless you learn to honor your earthly father, you'll never learn how to honor your heavenly father. It becomes this vital component of what it means to honor God. So that's the first place we see it. Another place we see it is in the honor that husbands are instructed to have for their wives in 1 Peter 3, 7. It says this, husbands, in the same way, show consideration to your wives in your life together, paying honor to to the woman as the weaker sex, since they too are also heirs of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing may hinder your prayers. Now, we will get into the weaker sex thing some other time when I want to really get into a lot of stuff. Just pretend that wasn't in there. Uh, (laughs) As your pastor, I probably shouldn't say just pretend something wasn't in the Bible. Uh, But what I want you to focus in on is this paying honor. Husbands, pay honor to your wives. Something that in the context of the day would not have been expected. Wives were expected to honor their husbands. Husbands were not expected to honor their wives in the culture to which Paul, uh, Peter writes this passage. Wives were expected to do everything their husbands said and honor them, and husbands were expected to do whatever the heck they wanted, Right? And so when Peter says this, and Paul says it in other places as well, it is a kind of radical reorienting of the cultural expectations of the day. 
Also notice this, that very last sentence, that for the husband who does not under, uh, honor his wife, their prayers will be hindered, which is crazy, and we're moving on. All right. So uh, another area where it speaks of honor, and one that we might not expect, is we are called to honor God with our bodies. Honor comes into play with our bodies. In 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 through 20, it says this. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, in the context of this passage, this is about the sexual ethics that Christians uh, are instructed to follow. For Paul, to sin sexually is to dishonor God and to dishonor your own body. This is a different paradigm than we think of very often when we think of uh, Christian sexual ethics. In, as a follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of, of Jesus in this place, the scriptures tell us that your body is a kind of temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't want this to be a place of condemnation this morning. I'm not trying to be hard on anyone. But I simply think that this paradigm of honor is a more helpful way of seeing Christian sexual ethics. Because very often when, when, uh, when the world looks at the church and they see some of the, some of the ethics that we put around sex and sexuality in our time, they just think it's a bunch of rules to follow. As a young person who grew up in the church, I kind of looked at it as a bunch of rules to follow, right? Just to grit your teeth. Try to make it, right? That was supposed to be funny. But anyways... Uh, but Paul seems to reframe this whole concept of Christian sexual, uh, the, the whole concept of Christian sexual ethics around this idea of honor. For Paul, to lust after someone, to have sex outside of the confines of marriage, is a kind of dishonor, a dishonor of the other person and a dishonor of oneself and a dishonoring of God. And as a Christian, our highest ideals... Our, should not be to gratify our own, our own desires, but rather to honor the other, which is interesting, isn't it? And so I want to suggest to you that if you struggle with the teachings of Scripture around sex or sexuality, and you struggle with the, them just being a bunch of kind of external rules that don't seem to apply in our 21st century context, maybe begin to look at these through the lens of honor. What, you know, in our context, people ask, well, who am I hurting, right? Who am I hurting by do, kind of following my own innate drives? What am I doing, what, who am I hurting if I don't conform my life to the sexual ethics of Scripture? I don't think that's the question. I think the question that we should be asking is a question of honor. And I, and I want to suggest to you today that maybe if we stop seeing the t teachings of Scripture as just around sex as just rules to follow, but instead see them through this lens of honor and actually, act, actually actively try to honor God with our bodies by refraining from sexual sin and act, actively try to honor other people by resisting the temptation to make them an object of lust or for our own personal use, we will see the dignity of people rise as we invite this culture of honor into our sexuality. And we see every beloved son and daughter of God as somebody who is valuable and worthwhile and deserving of our honor. It's a different paradigm, right? It's a different context. 
So to honor someone with our bodies and to honor God with our bodies and to honor the other person's body is to fall in under the teachings of the scriptures around the way we view sex and sexuality. To constrain ourselves, not out of a desire to follow rules or a desire to uh, avoid punishment, but rather out of, a, out of a higher order desire to honor another, to honor ourselves, and to honor God. It's a far more beautiful picture, I think. So that's that one. We're going to keep it moving here because we're running out of time. So honoring elders and pastors. Hey, right? First uh, Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13. But we appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to uh, respect those who labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord to admonish you. Esteem them highly in love because of their work. This is obviously about pastors and elders in the church. Uh, so that's great for me. Um, but actually, I brought this up not to pay so that you would pay me honor. Actually, I think there's been an abuse, particularly in the charismatic uh, Pentecostal church, around honor. Uh, in leadership, particularly because uh, we are told that the only people that should be honored are our leaders. And actually, the Bible makes quite clear that this idea of honor in the church isn't only reserved for those in leadership. It's actually reserved for everyone. This honor goes both ways. And we see this clearly in 1 Corinthians 12. Paul is likening uh, the different people in this passage. Paul is likening the different people in the church to different body parts. Okay. And here he says, um, and we're going to move quickly, but he says, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are, are, are indispensable. And the parts we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are un, uh, unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lack it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that it, uh, it's... Uh, do, 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 do. Its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, that's a little confusing, and you need to read the whole passage to really understand the context. But what Paul is saying there is that, the, is that it's not just the leader who is deserving of honor. It is actually every part of the body. And if there's any part of the body that doesn't receive the honor that is due them, the whole thing kind of falls, right? The whole stack of cards crumbles. Because honor is the kind of currency of love that upholds and builds up a church. And when honor breaks down on any level, whether it's to leaders or whether it's to or whether it's to anybody, whatever function they serve within the church, if honor breaks down on any one of those levels, the currency of the church's life kind of comes down. It comes crumbling down. And Paul says honor is important. That is not something to be swept under the rug. It is not something we just do occasionally when we feel like it. It rather needs to be a proactive honoring of the other, an intentional valuing of another person's worth. No matter if they're the person on the stage with a microphone who sometimes does a good job and sometimes doesn't, or if they're the person who is insignificant and unseen, we all have a role to play and we are all deserving of honor. All right? All right. So I'm going to skip some stuff because I have a lot here. Apparently I got inspired this week. So finally, the last thing I want to draw you to this morning is this idea of honor as it exists within God, within God. Because honor is something that clearly the scriptures t teach us that we are to show to others, to parents, to authorities, to people in our church, to the least of these, to the ones who society deems as um, 
uh, as less than. We are to show honor to ourselves and to God through observing Christian sexual ethics. There's all of these ways that honor comes into play in the Christian life. But I want to show you the, the deep theological significance of honor as it relates to God, God's self. Because it seems to say, the scriptures seem to tell us that God himself operates off of this kind of economy of honor. Honor is what the love of God looks like in action within God's self. Most of you are probably aware of the Christian uh, doctrine of the Trinity, which is the idea that God is three unique persons in one reality, which we call God. So God is a plurality of persons in unity. We'll keep it moving. It's fairly complicated, uh, but it is absolutely fundamental to, a, to an orthodox understanding of who God is. And we have numerous glimpses in the New Testament that God's life is fundamentally one of honor. That in and of God's self, God functions with this currency, this economy of honor. We see this really clearly in a story from the New Testament. The story of Jesus' baptism in the Jordan River by John. John the Baptist uh, baptizes Jesus. And in this passage, we see the Holy Spirit descend on Christ like a dove. And then we hear the voice of the Father giving honor to Jesus. And what does he say? He says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Essentially, this is God the Father honoring God the Son. It is a snapshot of God's, what God's internal life is like. God's internal life is all about honor. God's economy is honor. God's operating system is honor. Honor is how God operates in and of God's self, and, God, and honor is how God wants his family to operate as well. Crazy, right? So what are the practical implications of this? We'll just get right down to brass tacks this morning. What are the practical implications of this? We live in a dishonoring culture. We live in a world where our politics is dishonoring. We live in a world where everything seems to be skewed towards dishonor and not towards honor. What do we do with this? How do we live as people of honor in a culture of dishonor? How do we live towards the least of these with honor? Well, I just want to do a mental experiment for you today. If Brad Pitt walked in... <laughs> If Brad Pitt walked, or whoever, you know, who, whoever your person is. If Brad Pitt walked in, whoever your favorite musician is. Bruce Springsteen? I don't know. Justin Bieber? Thanks, guys. Uh, walked in the doors today. How would that person be treated? Probably pretty well, right? Probably pretty well. What, what would it be like if every one of us treated everyone else like they were Brad Pitt? What would it look like if in our culture, at our church, everyone treated everyone with that level of honor, deference, and respect? Because it seems to be this is what, this is what the Bible says. We, how, this, is, this is what the Bible instructs us, that we should teach each to, to treat each other this way. To have this level of deference and honor when it comes to our culture. It's a startling thing. It's a startling thing. Because I don't even think we think of ourselves that way, do we? We don't think of ourselves as deserving honor. But when someone, some other human being, sees you for who you were created to be, sees you as a person stamped with the image of God, and then honors you for that, it changes everything about you. It changes absolutely 
everything about you. You are not just sitting to a normal human being. You are sitting next to an eternal soul, one created in the image of God, one that God deeply loves and values. And for us to dishonor another is to lower their value in our eyes and come out of line with the way that God values them. And so part of honor in our culture is to simply acknowledge the eternal, unsurpassable worth of the other. Every person you come in contact with is kind of on fire with their createdness. And to identify that reality, to see it in another, is to honor them. So, as we conclude today, here's just three questions, I think, that will help us be a people of honor. The first question, am I creating a culture of honor with my words? Am I honoring people with my words? This is about what we share on Facebook. This is about how I talk about people who have harmed me. This is about how I talk about people who disagree with me. This is about how I talk about my spouse to other people. This is about how I deal with the words that come out of my mouth in and around other people. Now, this is not about sugarcoating everything. This is not about avoiding the truth. This is not about even disagreeing with people, but this is about being honoring. And if we have a filter of honor for our words, it transforms the way we speak. And it is, I would argue, the first step towards becoming a people of honor. And when we hear this, if you're normal in this room, you go, oh, yeah, that. (laughs) Speaking about people with honor. And if you're like me, there's no shortage of repentance around this particular question, right? So that's question number one. Question number two, am I proactively seeking to honor those who the world deems unworthy of honor? Imagine with me what it would look like to have the type of church where the people who walk through our doors, the primary thing they say about our church is that I, ju- I just felt special. I just felt honored there. I don't know why. They didn't give me a flat screen TV. I just felt like I was worthwhile when I walked through the doors. I felt like somebody saw me for who I was. The world is in desperate need of people who identify the inherent worth and value of every human person. And most of the people in this world walk through this life either not knowing or not understanding who they are in the eyes of God. And it is the church. It is the people in the church. It is literally you and me who are responsible for communicating this to people via how we honor them. And if you allow the filter of your eyes and of your words and of your treatment of people to be through some other lens other than honor, you will inherently not communicate that to them. One of the primary ways I see this is when people, the people who serve you at a restaurant, the people who give you your coffee, and when they're 10 seconds late, you dishonor them either with your words or with your attitude. You make them feel bad. Like them giving you a coffee is the most important thing that's ever happened in the history of the world. <laughs> right? And we steal from people their honor, their dignity, because I got, because my steak was cold. And I get it. You can be polite and send your steak back, but come on. Come on. Are we cultivating a culture of honor or are we not? 
Are we loving people who for the, who were they were created to be or are we not? This is so vital to what it means to be a people of honor in the world. I'm going to move on because it seemed like I hurt some feelings. Uh, anyways, the third question today is probably a good rejoinder to that previous one. What dishonor do you need to repent of? What, what dishonor do you and I need to repent of? Because something tells me that during the course of this message, whether it was about politics or whether it was about some other type of honor that we covered, the Holy Spirit convicted you of something. Something I said got your blood pumping a little bit. And chances are that is the area that God is putting his finger on. Because in order to be a person of honor, we also have to be actively in the process of repenting of the ways in which we have dishonored others. We have to. That's what it means to change, right? Repent and change. And so in this place today, as we go, I just want to ask the question one more time. What dishonor do you need to repent of? What, is there anything in your words towards another that you need to repent of? Is there an attitude that you carry out into the world that you need, of dishonor that you need to repent of? Is there anything in your life that God is asking you to repent of this morning? And to step out of the place of dishonor and into the place of honor. Would you stand with me this morning? Just as we close, we can repent right here and now. Repent is a big, a big Bible word for saying I'm sorry and changing. And as we're just our, this, our last moment here this morning, I just want to say that if you're in this place and your heart was pricked by anything that was said this morning, any passage of scripture that we read, anything that we covered this morning, it's possible to change. But the way we change is by admitting our fault to God and turning away from it. So this morning, as we close, I just want to lead you in a prayer of repentance. And as I pray, would you just keep that thing, that thought you have in your heart or in your mind, that area where you needed to repent? And as I pray, would you just offer that up to God? Say, God, I'm sorry. I want to change. And see, and, and I want to step into a culture of honor. So let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you that you honor us, that you've crowned us with glory, that you've created us a little lower than the angels, that you, that you have bestowed honor to us, God, and that you've created everyone we know around us with that same dignity, that same worth, and that same honor that you bestow upon them. And so, Father, we repent of the ways that we have not seen people that way. We repent of the ways that we have not uh, developed or built a culture of honor, lived into a culture of honor in our world. We repent of the things that we've said about people that we're dishonoring. We repent of the ways that we have dealt with people in just the daily functioning of our lives with dishonor. We repent of the ways in which we have dishonored you, both in our speech and in our actions. We are sorry and we humbly repent. And so now, Father, we pray that you would help us to live into a culture of honor in a, in a culture of dishonor and disrespect. Would you help us to be a people 
a people of honor, a people whose complete orientation towards the world, towards politics, towards our family, towards our friends, towards perfect strangers in the world would be that of honor and not of dishonor. And would people notice that difference in our world and in the way we act? Would people see our good deeds? Would they see the honor with which the honor that we display? And would they glorify our Father in heaven because of it? And so now, God, we thank you that you've forgiven us, that you've empowered us, that you've communicated your love to us. God, we thank you so much that you've created us all and that you love us all and that you love everyone we meet. And as we go from the day, would you help us to be a people of honor, even when our culture is pulling us in all different kinds of directions. And we pray it all this morning in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. Now, as you leave today, uh, this is the first Sunday of the month, and so we're going to receive our compassion offering. There will be ushers at the door uh, with with uh, the offering. Uh, so if you have a couple bucks, you could just drop it at in the offering as you leave. Uh, that will go to our compassion fund. So go today in the grace and in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks.